1: Hello, welcome back
0: to OKSIS Podcast. My name is Mads and I'm looking at a Scout in pink. Pretty in pink.
1: Hi Mads, I'm Scout and yes, I am wearing all pink because actually this is kind of weird because my glasses are pink, my scrunchies pink, my sweatshirt's pink. But the reason I'm wearing color is because Sivon Ayla started wearing color. So now I wear color. Mm.
0: You know what? We're all never not influenced by
1: Sivon Ayla. It's scary. It's scary. Sometimes I wonder if I have, you know, my own power. Identity. Yeah. Like my own. Like, do I have my own willpower to just think, oh, is that me? Because I'm literally in a pink fucking sweatshirt right now. So
0: I feel like that's how I feel about Tinks or like Emma Chamberlain, like that vibe. Anything they post or JC
1: Marie Smith, anything they post purchased, purchased. Yeah. Yeah, they are what they call the influencers. Anyways, I just want to say thank you so much to the Sisterhood for supporting me on the announcement of my pregnancy. I woke up Thursday morning and already had a bunch of you commenting in Geneva. I think everyone on the East Coast had already heard the episode by the time I woke up, the amount of comments and DMs and re- shares. You guys repost it to your stories. I just want to say thank you so incredibly much. It filled me with such joy and nachos, and I have been dying to tell all of you, So as finally have the news, the cats out of the bag, the news out in the public feels so incredibly good and for those who don't know the gender yet you can join our patreon patreon.com slash podcast where i live told mads the gender of my baby so you can i promised i toned the volume down as much as i can because- oh good i was gonna ask about
0: that because there was yelling involved you're gonna want to hear this because it's not what i expected i expected one thing and then it was the complete opposite so It is a very funny, it's like a genuine reaction.
1: It's a genuine reaction. I listened to it back and I was like laughing and then I was crying and then I was laughing and then I was crying. So if you want to know the gender, patreon.com slash podcast. So I want your
0: thoughts on this recent trend of coastal grandma aesthetic because it's something I deeply identify with and as. And I feel very, very seen by the fashion industry at the moment. I usually am not into certain trends. They don't look good on my body. But this trend I can get behind, and this is also a trend that I have been sporting for the entirety of my life. We're talking breathable fabrics, linens, flowiness, and like you are in a Nancy Meyers film. Now, my whole mindset has embodied this. Like I am back into my romance novel reading Cocoon. I'm wearing linens. I'm wearing all neutrals. Like what is your take? You're wearing pink. Like this is weird. Like it feels like you
1: would be this vibe, but you're, you're not it at the moment. I mean, I've never kind of been that vibe ever. I've never been yeah, like that's a, true. I'm gonna wear true. I'm a linen shirt and like some loose linen <laughs> pants and my Birkenstocks and like a tote bag for a purse. Like that's never been me. Literally, what I wear every single day. Yes, I'm. I'm aware. Um, so. I don't know where you think this is having a moment because I'm not plugged into that specific zeitgeist conversation, but you've been rocking that forever. It's fine for me. It doesn't evoke much. It evokes an uh, image of you in your mirror selfie on Instagram. That's really what I associate yeah. it with now at okay, this point. Great. Mm. But no, that's you know that's never been my vibe. Okay, well,
0: I'm the spokesperson. I'm trying to emulate that all summers 2022, so if you see me, on the streets, just call
1: me grandma. Oh, yeah, you're very uh, Santa Barbara retirement vibes. Oh, I mean, God willing. I mean, if we don't retire in Santa Barbara, we're doing our life wrong.
0: Well, I, no, I need to. I need to retire in Malibu every day when I do my. To be magnetic, deep imaginings by um, the universe, aka Lacey Phillips, who I, <laughs> to me, is the universe. She like, oh, imagine your favorite place in nature. You know, I'm not really a nature gal. I actually, I want to hear your your answer to this. Like, I'm not a nature gal. Do you, do you want to hear what I envision when she says, go to your favorite place in nature? The, the Malibu beach? It's Jenny, a Jenny Kane filled house in Malibu on the water, me sitting there in like a Restoration hardware, outdoor patio, furniture-esque type vibe, and gazing out into the ocean on an elevated surface, no no sand involved, okay? It's me observing the ocean from afar. And very good. That very is my na- that's my favorite place in nature.
1: <laughs> I've never been to it, but it's in my mind. It's like a half spot of nature situation, I would say. Whenever I do yeah. those, I imagine at Swami's Beach in Encinitas or okay. the beach right across from Naked Cafe off Loma Santa Fe in Solana Beach. Wow, so you you and you're in the sand? Yeah, you know, I am someone who loves I should say that in 2020, I started appreciating the medicine of just being outdoors and what it does for you to go on a walk and and like ground into the earth and be around, you know, a a minimal amount of nature. We're not saying a lot here. We're in the backyard of San Diego. So you're a sand girl now? I like taking walks on the beach. I don't like like laying down in a bathing suit on the beach. I like taking my sandals off and walking on the beach. Oh,
0: Wait, this is... This is a development.
1: This no, it's, is a, it's not a development. I, I mean, I always thought that when we talked about sand, we were talking about going to the beach, laying on the beach, going in the water, getting on the sand, da 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 That whole spiel. It's very different to wear cut off jeans and take off your sandals and, and hold wh- your flip flops and walk on the beach. See, that's immediately now for me. Oh. Any of that? Anything touching?
0: The sand for me is just off limits.
1: Oh, a walk on the beach is the most restorative, nourishing, beautiful thing one can do. What do you do when you get back in your car? If you don't put your feet in the water, it's very easy to just wipe it off. It doesn't stick to you that much. Or you bring a towel. I don't know. This is upsetting to me. Oh, it's upsetting well, that I live in Southern California and I take a long romantic evening stroll on the beach sometimes. So I'm planning a, a trip to Greece, subtle,
0: subtle plug for my trip to Greece, soft launching it here today and now. And I am mentally preparing three months in advance, two months in advance to be on the sand. I'm mentally preparing so that when it happens, it was kind of like the Tulum preparation. You know, it's like Mads, there will be sand. And you need to lean in to the sand, as Cheryl Sandberg once said. Lean in. Um, we did great in Tulum. We did great. There was no complaints. I wasn't annoying, as I
1: usually am. No complaints. Because it wasn't, it was like a full, it was a full immersion acceptance.
0: Yeah, the hair. Uh, yeah, once the hair is gone, then it's full immersion in the nature. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited for, for my grease to sort of the traveling pants moment. And, oh oh talk about coastal grandma aesthetic i just placed the largest linen linen order from zara you're gonna see me you're not gonna even know what linen and what mads where it ends and where it begins it's gonna just be mm. a mob a blob remember the beige blob mm-hmm. og uh, sisters know this um it'll be a linen blob this summer okay moving on what is your current fixation scout
1: yeah, let's move on from the linen blog situation. I'm, I'm like scared of I'm going to see so many photos of it on the Instagram. So my current fixation is I walked into a bookstore the other day. I uh, haven't done that one in a while since I just order on Amazon or get it on my iPad. And... It was the best because Delightful. I used to go into bookstores and pick out which one spoke to me, read the first page, feel the binding, feel the, the the pages, see what kind of font we're dealing with, what the bindings like, all that's really important to me. And so I just let this one book speak to me. It is not a book I think I would have grabbed or ordered without really being in person and holding it in my hands because I love that it has a, I should learn how to Describe how I like my books. It's a big book, so it's like seven hundred pages, which you know I love, and it's like a floppy spine. It's not like a. It's like a very. Do you know what I mean? It's not a hard book. It's not like a. It opens nicely. It lays nicely. Oh. Okay. So I bought it because it of that. Cover? Because I. Well, no, it's not hardcover. But you know, like the soft cover, sometimes you have to like. Crease it open. This is a floppy Ooh, book. It flops. That's my sloppy. favorite. So, Anyways, <laughs> this book is called Cutting for Stone. It's by Abraham Verghese. I hope I'm saying that last name correctly. I am only on page 100, but I'm completely transfixed by this man's writing. It was written, I think, uh, at least 20 years ago, I want to say. Oh, 2009. So oh, that is... Yeah, no. That's like 12 years ago. It's about these Ethiopian born twins who are born to an Indian American doctor and also a, a nun who is a nurse to the doctor. And it's, it's a very different type of dynamics going on. Yeah. It's a very different type of book than I've ever read. It takes place uh, sometime in the middle 1900s and the way historical fiction, I mean, kind of, you know, I'm, it's scary that that's historical fiction today, but I suppose. And just, it's a brilliantly crafted book. It's a brilliantly written book. And I was reading, uh, fuck, everybody's clothes, other people's clothes. And it's a more, uh, This I'm going to sound like an asshole, but here we go. It's a more, you know, it was probably published in the last couple of years. It's a lot more in that like female twenties genre. And my problem when I was reading books in my teenage years was how were people going to capture our time and age without sounding just like "Eh," like cheap with instagram and facebook and like whatever so i had to switch and so cutting for stone is abs if sisters if you can't tell i'm not feeling good right now like my pregnancy is like i'm having some morning sickness i don't know but what you're saying
0: i don't know why. i know is going it on. makes
1: it makes a <laughs> lot of sense in my head and i'll articulate it better when i don't feel like i'm gonna pass out and throw up at the same time but this book cutting for stone if you're looking for an incredible piece of literature. It's been on the New York Times list for like years and years and years, over a million copies sold or something, a complete national bestseller. I highly recommend if you're looking for a book that is but it takes you a little bit to get into, not to, no no sorry, it takes you a little bit to finish because it's it's a big commitment. Um, that's not super fleeting, but you could tell this man labored over every sentence, just impeccable. So,
0: and if you are looking for a millennial age book for the twenty in a girl in their twenties, I just read the most amazing book, the best book that I read in twenty twenty two. If you follow me on TikTok, then you already know it's called Funny You Should Ask by Alyssa Sussman, and it was. It was like beach read adjacent, like beach read level, like that type of romance novel that is so well written, but also obviously romantic, sexy, but witty. I highly recommend it. That's not my current fixation, but I just wanted to swoop in there and defend that
1: genre. I'll bet you that everybody's going to go buy that book and nobody's going to buy my book. I haven't read a
0: male author in I think 10 years.
1: So it's so weird that I love male authors. I don't get it. I only read uh, female authors.
0: Okay. So my current fixation, any ladies and sisters that live in LA, I started a LA specific newsletter for Camber. It's a things to do and places to be in LA that week. And it's my current fixation because it delights me so much every week to make this newsletter. And people on TikTok and in the community in Canberra have been obsessed with it and really excited about it. And so I just, it was one of those moments in business where you're like, just lean into the things that are working, lean into the things that fill you up and that you're excited about within your business. And that was a really great learning lesson. And I learned that through this newsletter. So if you wanna subscribe to it and live in LA and want to go to some like cool events together, then you can do that. Did you just plug a business launch as your current fixation? I plugged something that I'm working on
1: with Canberra.
0: Huh. It is my current fixation because I'm always excited to work
1: on it. Okay. Just feel like we're blurring the lines a little bit here.
0: What are you talking
1: about? <laughs> it's something okay. that
0: I'm currently fixated on. It
1: doesn't it can't it doesn't have to be part of It can't be part of your business? I'm just saying you plugged one of your business ventures as your current fixation.
0: Yeah, but I've never plugged like the app or things. I'm plugging something very specific.
1: Okay, I love it. And I should sign up, but I don't live in L.A., so I don't know what to yeah, do you, about don't, that. you don't need to sign up if you are not in L.A., but if you are. Okay, Mads, introduce this episode because it was a fucking good one. Okay, so we
0: are riding on the high of the money month. And this week we have the beautiful, the brilliant, the hilarious Money with Katie and we discuss with her just everything under the sun about budgeting, personal finance. She gets super super granular about how to even start to look at your finances if you have been in the dark about them. We talk a lot about even the psychology of money, just leaving shame out the door. Like no shame, no judgment of what you've done in the past. Let's move forward into the future and get our shit together, ladies, when it comes to my money and financing. So she's fucking amazing and she has a podcast on morning brew so she's like legit you know
1: yeah she's incredible if last episode with allison bird was a lot more emotional money mindset abundance versus scarcity talk this one's going to give you a lot of actionable tips and tools to walk away with so that you can start budgeting taking care of your finances and reframing that relationship so we hope you enjoy sisters okay
0: let getting dressed be one less
1: thing to worry about okay sisters let's talk about hair shedding does the craziness of everyday life leave you stressed and shedding since having kids have you started seeing a little more of your scalp hi i've been there when it comes to thinning hair there are many root causes at play and neutrophil addresses them through a multi-targeted whole body approach After I gave birth, I noticed that around the crown of my head, my hair was shedding. I've been taking Nutrafol for almost three months at this point, and I am not kidding you when my husband, my friends, my family have been commenting on how long, strong, and healthy my hair has been looking lately. I mean, sisters, if you've been watching OK Sister on YouTube, you've seen my hair. While many supplements rely solely on
0: ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. I mean,
1: 86% is a lot of women.
0: Money with Katie. Money with
1: Katie.
0: (laughs) Oh my God, you look like you're in like the Beverly
2: Hills Hotel with your background. Oh my God. Can we hang out every day? Oh my God, that was the best uh, welcome to a Zoom call I've ever gotten. I'm going to be telling all my coworkers from now on that that's how I expect every call to start. Tell the people at the Morning Brew to step it up. (laughs) <laughs> right? Oh, hello,
0: Katie. Welcome to OK Sis. Hi. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. We're beyond excited to talk
1: to you. Uh, this is my sister, Scout. You can speak. Thank you. Thank you for the permission. <laughs> Usually she brings the crazy energy in the beginning, and I wait until it's settled so until that it settles. I can. Right. So that I can. <laughs> but when you were saying money with Katie, I don't know why. Every time someone chants money, all I think of is money, money, money. 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 Oh, Must be, be funny. funny. in a rich man's world world. so anyways we are so excited to have you on this whole entire month is about money finances budgeting money mindset all the things and i love that all us women are getting together to talk about it because transforming my money story my money mindset my money practices has changed my life dramatically so we are excited to get into it with you
2: oh my god same I, this is like all I think about. So you've you've got a good guest at me to talk about money. Yay!
0: Perfect. So first of all, we just love your like little tagline that you have about how finance bros are out and rich girls are in because yes, <laughs> like can confirm. So let's start, let's just start with your personal history with money. Cause we want to just like level set, understand how you got into this industry, kind of like with this more feminist angle that you have, like, where did this all come from?
2: Yeah. So it's funny because I think people that follow me now or like to like listen to the pod or like read the blog now would probably be very surprised to know that I used to have a very spendy relationship with money and a very wheels off relationship. And I imagine it probably is pretty similar to how most young people are with money before they kind of like wake up and get their shit together, which I think everyone has that awakening at some point. It's almost not optional. It's just like, how much do you want to delay it? Because the more you delay it, the more it's going to hurt when it happens. And I think I was fortunate in the sense that I had the awakening probably six to 12 months after I started working full time. And I studied PR, like studied communications and storytelling and all of that, and then got a job in marketing and then like ended up in kind of like UX writing. So I had no formal education around any of this whatsoever. It was just once I had been working for, yeah, six months to a year, I kind of had this light bulb moment of like, oh, fuck, like I, uh, I don't really have anything to show for the fact that I've been working for like almost a year now. I had some cash in a savings account, but when I think back on how I was managing money back then, it was very much like, oh, well, there's enough for the credit card bill to be paid and I have enough money left over to pay rent and uh, my next paycheck is coming soon, so should be fine. It was just very wheels off. There was no strategy. There was no plan it was just kind of you know treading water and so i kind of was like well i should probably learn a little bit more about this because i don't really want to just keep putting money in savings i know that that's not smart but i'm not really sure what the alternative better choice would be and so i started learning everything i could and that's kind of the beauty of like being in the 21st century with the internet is you can learn anything you want about anything it's all right there for free on the internet so I didn't pay for any courses. I didn't, you know, I, I bought books. That was probably the extent of the money I spent, but I would read, listen, watch just like voraciously. And that went on that way for a couple of years where I was like, okay, I'm starting to get the hang of this. Like this actually really isn't that hard. Like there are a couple key accounts that you should have and some general best practices around how much to be saving and investing in those accounts. But Beyond that, I was like, I think I got the hang of this. This isn't that bad. Well, that's kind of the funny thing about getting into personal finance because it opens the door to so many other things. And now I'm at the point where like, I know more now than I ever have. And I'm more convinced now that I know nothing. Like the more I learn, the more I realize, I don't know shit. So it's definitely a learning process, but, um, I started the blog money with Katie in 2020. So this was, I don't know, two years after that initial kind of like awakening moment. And then really like, it felt almost like a way for me to take other regular young women on the journey with me. Like, Hey, I'm learning about this. It's really interesting. Like here it is. Or, you know, Hey, I'm just going to, I'm going to try doing this. And it's like, here you go. Here's how much I spent, or here's how much I'm making, or like, I just negotiated this raise. And so as the community grew, it just became this really cool, I don't know, like experience where I felt like, oh, I can like be the teacher and the student. Like I can like continue learning and like pass it along as I go, but I'm not the expert and I'm not expected to be the expert. And that was kind of the the cool like dynamic that it became. That's really refreshing
0: to hear because I think obviously it's incredibly intimidating to learn about Mm -hmm. money and to learn about finance. It's, it feels very distant from a lot of people, especially women. So, Mm -hmm. you know, with your content and your platform, yes, there's like this approachable aspect to it where you're like, Hey, I'm fucking, I'm fucking figuring this out too. Like, let's do it together. Right. Instead of this like money expert being like, you need to do this and like whatever. So, you know, it's funny that you say that like, awakening. I, I mean, I personally have had the awakening basically a couple months ago, which is why we are having this, this month, because I'm like, I need to lean in to all of this because Mm -hmm. I think there was fear. There was a ton of fear. And that's something I think throughout this month, we're going to unpack and really hopefully uh, like soothe my fears when it comes to approaching money. And it's interesting. You say that about like, you know, I've always been of the mindset, which is terrible of like, ignorance is bliss kind of what you were saying like all right at least I know I can pay the rent and the credit card that's it like I don't want to I don't even want to look at anything else like I just I don't even want to think about it and now I'm in this situation where you know I am budgeting on a more consistent basis I am looking at things much more consistently and and putting away money in the right spaces but I still get anxiety doing those things and it's funny because I spoke to my boyfriend and he was like oh like budgeting to me decreases my anxiety because then I know where my money is Da, da, da. and I'm like, oh my God, it right. still gives me anxiety. So it's like, I'm still mm-hmm. trying to walk through the fire to get to the other end of like what you were saying of this
1: isn't that bad. Like I'm still in the, it's bad.
2: <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. I
1: think that looking at your bank account though, in the beginning is the hardest part. So and hard. then once it's like getting to the gym, you know what I mean? Like you oh, just yeah. have to look at it and then it gets better. But to start it off, because you said something like while you were starting your process of learning, you found very simple best practices and very simple equations of like, put money here, put money here, put money here. Can you very briefly for our sisters who are thinking about going on this journey or are starting to go on their money journey, what are what are some of those best practices that they can just take away as a tangible starting point?
2: Totally. So I think that the best place to start, no matter who you are, where you live, doesn't matter how much money you make, is to figure out how much your life costs. So by that, I mean, what does it cost to be you? Like in order to live the life that you want to live, what needs to be coming in every month? And I think that exercise will do one of two things because some people do that and they walk away from it and they go, that's weird. It doesn't really cost that much to be me, but I don't have any money left over at the end of the month. So where is it all going? And that's a signal of like, you might be sleepwalking a little bit through your purchases. Like if you're looking at your income and then you're looking at like your rent and your car payment and maybe like childcare or health insurance or whatever those like big pieces of the puzzle are. And you're like kind of putting them together and you're getting this sense of like, wait a second. There's a lot left over, but I have no idea where it's going. That can kind of send you down the path of like, okay, so my next best step right now is probably going to be to monitor that more closely. So whether that's getting an app like Mint or CoPilot, Mint is free, CoPilot costs like six bucks a month. I prefer CoPilot, but it is what it is. And to really notice like, oh, actually... I don't have any money left over because I spend $800 a month at restaurants. And it's like, you don't feel that because every, it's like paper cuts, you know, every single swipe is going to be what, 15, 20 bucks. But it, like, if that is happening every day or every other day, it's going to add up. And so I think that's, that's kind of one side of it. Others will do this exercise and they'll go, okay, well, I know like rent car, blah, blah, blah. And, oh man. I actually don't even know how I'm making this work because there's not anything left over. Like once I account for those big rocks, it's like I don't really see how I have any wiggle room. Then that path is going to look a little bit different because now you know where that money's going. And you probably either have one of two problems. There's either an earning problem where it probably makes sense for you to start looking at ways to earn more money or you're living beyond your means. And you're like me and every other 23 year old in Dallas that lived in a luxury high-rise apartment and drove a Range Rover and made $50,000 a year. And you're like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm like living beyond my means. I'm like paying, I live in a place or drive a car that's too nice for like what I can realistically afford right now. So, and those can kind of send you down different paths. But the point is, once you know how much your life costs and how much margin you have in that monthly budget, That's when you can start to get creative and you can start to make forward progress. So, whether the forward progress is investing or debt pay down, both of those things are going to increase your net worth because one increases your assets, the other decreases your liabilities. If you can do both at the same time, great. But I think once you have that margin between what's coming in and what's going out, and you have identified what your wiggle room is, that wiggle room becomes like I always use the analogy of like a shovel of like, the shovel that you can use to start digging and you can increase that margin different ways you can cut back or you can earn more you can do both but the more you can increase the margin the bigger that shovel gets and the more progress you're going to be able to make more quickly so that's kind of the foundation on top of that the best practices around things like investing or debt pay If you're somebody that has that kind of like, oh, I could go either way or like, oh, I do have debt, but I don't know if I should be prioritizing the debt over starting to invest. Typically, I like to look at the interest rate of the debt. So if it's like below 5%, I'm not really feeling any urgency. I'm like, all right, well, inflation's 8%. So my debt's literally getting cheaper over time. So that's cute. So I'm not too worried about it. Right. I'm going to pay my minimum payments. Sure. But I'm not going to like kill myself to pay this off any faster. If it's 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, like once you start getting much higher than that. Okay. Well now the interest, you're going to start to feel that it's going to really extend the time it's going to take you to pay it off. So that would be my first kind of like decision point is what is the interest rate on the debt? If it's five or less, I'll probably just let it ride. And if it's six or higher, I'll probably pay more attention to it. But then that leaves us just with investing. And that's the fun part, right? So investing is really the way that you use your money to make money for you. So it's one of the most efficient ways to build wealth, especially if we're talking about the stock market where like what could be easier than buying an index fund with like three clicks and you're done. We live in an amazing time for that. It has never been easier. The barrier to entry has never been lower to get some skin in the game. So that's where if you're like, okay, I like want to start investing and I'm just not sure where to start typically the most people like don't even realize that they've already started investing. If they have an employer 401k or a 403b or 457, I mean, there's like a ton of them, but most people that work for a for-profit employer are going to have a 401k. And if you're putting paycheck contributions into that account, you're investing already. So good for you. And then there's really only a couple other buckets that you have to worry about beyond that employer account. And it's the Roth IRA Which is a separate account um, that you have to open on your own. It's not tied to your employer, and then just like a regular brokerage account. So your Roth IRA is for retirement. It's for you, you know, far in the future. It has a very specific goal, very tax efficient. The regular brokerage account—that's money that you're setting aside, like for something that could be two years from now, could be twenty years from now. But no contribution limits, no penalties for taking the money out before a certain age or in a certain time frame. So. I think that's that was kind of like the light bulb moment for me when i was learning about all this stuff it's like it's not that complicated like to get a good foundation there's just a few boxes you really have to check and like the discipline part is probably the hardest for people or finding ways to earn more especially when you're early in your career or maybe you're just starting a business and like the revenue isn't there yet but as far as the actual kind of tactical fundamentals there's only a few and I think that tends to surprise people because like oh I thought this was going to be like way more complicated than this but it's really not
1: ever since having a baby I've been extremely conscious about what I spend my money on and which products I use and clothing is no different I want my wardrobe to be sustainable good quality and timeless
0: you have to be talking about whimsy and row right Whimsy and Row is an L.A. grown, eco-conscious brand born out of the love for cute, comfy, and classic styles. Every piece is made by women for women. Quality goods, local production, natural and organic fabrics. Yes, please give me all the linens. Visit their website, whimsyandrow.com. That's W-H-I-M-S-Y-A-N-D-R-O-W.com and use code OKSISTER for 15% off. Okay, I have two things. One, I would say auto pay. Oh like no, literally you don't way. even think about it. Like I have auto pay for every single thing obviously like i review things just to make sure everything's you know i all set up, up but- an account
1: a lot like a couple of years ago and i just put a hundred dollars a month because i was really scared to put anything more and the other day i looked at it i was sitting at dinner and I was like, I got two grand. Like, I was so excited. I was like, hello, so here I, we go. <laughs>
0: one other, so one question I have is what what would you recommend as the, so I have like an emergency fund, which is basically like mm-hmm. a savings-ish type thing. And then I kind of have like, I bucket it into travel as well so that I can have like a fund for that. So when I do travel, I'm not like, fuck, where is this all this money coming from? Yes. If people did want to get into investing more in the stock market, not just your retirement account, how much I mean it will vary but like how much do you have to have like in your savings in your emergency f- emergency fund in order to then be like okay now I can start contributing is it like six months of rent or like six months of Ugh. living or something like this that this is where
1: I was going because for me cash feels safe and secure and I know that cash mm-hmm. you know with inflation I guess this might not be the right term but like goes down in value or depreciates. that might be the right term yeah. no, over no time yeah but for me yeah. before I can put into the investment I just have to have a certain amount of cash on hand. I just do, or else I don't feel Mm -hmm. safe in my existence here. Mm -hmm. So what? kind of piggybacking off Maddie's question, what is a good percentage to have cash on hand that is kind of like just, I mean, I hear six months, I hear conservative one year. And then once you've reached that goal, what percentage should we start putting into these investment accounts?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So the funny thing about the cash cushion, I call it a cash cushion that you want to give yourself is, you know, we're talking about how much your life costs and that whole exercise of like sitting down and figuring it out, which by the way. That can be a very shamey feeling to be like, oh, I spent $400 at Lululemon every month last. It's like, (laughs) get that shit out of there. It doesn't matter. Like, we're not here to judge ourselves. We're not here to feel bad for ourselves. We're here to pat ourselves on the back for like doing something positive for ourselves. You wouldn't shame yourself at the gym for being like, this is the first time I've been to the gym. You'd be like, no, fuck. Yeah, I'm at the gym. Like, let's do it. So I think that's, that's the attitude you have to have is like giving yourself a lot of grace, but in any case. The reason that people will recommend six months to a year, that is a in my mind, that is a very, very risk-averse position. Like, and here's why I say this though. My go-to is three months. The reason I think three months is perfect is because A, if you are completely without income, like if like for some reason you lose your job and you can't find another one the reality is that most people either have friends or family that they can rely on to either move in with them or find financial support from somebody or go on unemployment. Like even during the pandemic, people were losing their jobs in droves and the government responded by like juicing unemployment like crazy. I had friends that were making more money on unemployment than when they were employed. So I think we tend to forget or we think about lack of income kind of in a vacuum of like, I'm not going to have any other option. And it's like, in reality, most people have something. And if you truly have no social or familial safety net, the unemployment is there for a reason. So that's where when people tell me they have a year of cash, I'm like, why? Like, why do you need a full year sitting in cash on the sidelines, not doing anything, especially if you're really young, right? If you're really young, employable, whatever. I get it. If you're like retired or near retirement and you want to have some money out of the market that you can use quickly when you exit the job, like fine. But young people, I'm like, usually three months, I think is a pretty good benchmark because what happens is to your point, you can get really comfortable sitting in cash. Cause it's like, you know, what the value is going to be when you log in, it's sitting there. It's not changing. It's not doing anything. It's like, ah, oh, okay. It's there. I know it's there, but The reality is that those are also just numbers on a screen, right? Like your money sitting in cash. I saw this crazy chart, you know, right before this, where it looked at a dollar in 1926. And it was like a dollar that was just sitting in cash in 1926. Let me see what it ended up being. It was like yeah, it would be worth six cents today or like 0.06 cents. I mean, like practically nothing. It just gets whittled away. Had it been in large cap index funds the whole time or large cap US companies, it would be worth like $17,000 today. And if it had been in small cap companies, it would be worth like $38,000 today. So I think that's a powerful exercise to kind of like see the power of markets over time and to get yourself comfortable with it. But at the end of the day, you do want to have some cash on hand. And when you're thinking about how to calculate that number and you're looking at that three-month benchmark, I always think, okay, behaviorally, what am I going to do if I don't have a job? Am I going to be going out every weekend? Am I going to be shot? Like, no, I'm not. I'm going to be like, oh, I'm in austerity mode because like I'm drawing down savings. Your behavior will change. And you don't want to have to change it drastically, but I do think we tend to ignore that like, yes, if you want to have enough money on hand to be able to support your exact same lifestyle for three months, fine. But most of us don't need that much. Most of us end up being okay.
1: Ugh, this is so clear. I now have like I have the exact number that I want in in Good. in cash savings. And I do want a separate savings account where I have maybe half of that just for travel, mm. fun stuff, yeah. exciting things yeah. that can come out, you know, th- you know, those random months where you decide to do something yes. crazy, you have that. And then once I can, yes. once I do all of that, because I'm, I have all my automatic stuff, anything above that will then start going into investments. Yes. Right. okay.
2: Yep, you're thinking about it totally correctly. It's like almost like you're filling up a bucket. Like, once that emergency fund bucket is full, you don't have to keep putting water in it. It's like, then we're going to go focus our attention on the other buckets that are going to grow for us. It's really just like, I was thinking about it with because the market is down right now. The mar- stock market has not been doing well in 2022, and that's because of a lot of different things. Like you can point to the war in, Ru- like the Russia-Ukraine conflict war. You can look at the fact that the Federal Reserve is hiking interest rates. That that always makes people super bearish. But I think when you get into situations like that, where you know maybe you have invested and you're looking at the screen and it's red, right? And you're like you're down, and you can see you've lost money. It's like That is the fee you pay to be invested. Like That's the volatility that you're going to go through. And I think if you have cash on the side that you know you can access when you need it, you are going to be so less likely to pull money out when you're at
1: a loss because you're scared. Exactly. I mean, I think for me, yep. like investments, a long game, like uh, my husband handles most of yes. our investments and he enjoys looking at them all the time. Our so family likes looking at I don't them look, all the look. time. I and I like, think that's not the point that you're down today. The point is where are you going to yes. be in 10, 15, 20 years? my restoration hardware stock going down. Oh,
0: geez. Going down. I (laughs) thought maybe if I bought stock, they would give me a cloud couch, but that's not really what happens, but (laughs) that's not how it works. works. Oh man. That's Um, funny. I want to talk to you because you said something really great about like attitude. Right. And I really think this is so much about what I've learned around money is like, yeah, when you start to learn about it, it's like, it's not really that hard. It's just this like attitude Mm -hmm. block. I think we all have, Mm -hmm. or this mindset shift that we need to undergo. So I want to hear about, about things that have worked for you and maybe like routines or rituals you've done, because for Mm me, I work with the financial gym, which I'm probably sure you've heard of and they're great. And you know, I I do my budgeting every, every week and I'm just like, it's anxiety inducing. I'm like, look at all this money going away. And then, you know, the, the financial coach was like, why don't you view it as kind of like go through line by line and be like, did I enjoy this experience that I exchanged for this money? Mm -hmm. Or did I enjoy spending Mm -hmm. this money on this type of thing? And just kind of taking stock of, what, what, what do I like to spend money on? And then if one thing was like, oh shit, I didn't like to spend money on that. All right, let's cut Mm -hmm. back on that. Right. And it's more of a, just kind of like a reflection of what I've done in the past Mm -hmm. week. And it just becomes less like, oh my God, all this money is gone. And more of a, wow, I love that part of spending money. I don't like that. And there's this, yeah, just inventory. So talk to us
2: about Mm -hmm.
0: what are some mindset shifts or attitude shifts that people can start to Mm -hmm. do so that they feel more comfortable.
2: Yeah, I think. So the big one for me, and this is more of a recent one for me, but I got to the point where I basically did a 180. I went from being very spendy, very avoidant, very. I mean, I think there's probably a correlation between like how obsessed you are with outer appearances and like, and like how bad you are with money because I didn't really care. I mean, like I only cared about like what I looked like on the weekends, where I was going, kind of car I was driving. I mean, it was all very surface level. And I think I did a complete 180 where it got to the point where like all I cared about was money, where I was like, (laughs) I did some really embarrassing stuff. Like, There was a point where we had a Slack group at work where we would tell each other where, which conference rooms had lunch meetings in them. And then as soon as the meetings were over, we would go in with Tupperware and like take the food. And like, that would be (laughs) like, so I was like obsessed with saving money and earning more. I was working like crazy. At one point I had two full-time jobs and two part-time jobs. And I was just, I mean, like, I I was an animal. I couldn't get enough. And so I think that that is in some ways just as unhealthy as the way I was before. And only recently have I been able to kind of get back to a more balanced space. And I think that the way that I conceptualize it now is Everything is an investment. It's just either an investment in you now or an investment in you later. But ultimately, investments are just deferred spending. Like the entire point is that you now have more money to spend later. It's not like saving money is like putting it away and never seeing it again. It's like, okay, well, this is an investment in me now. This is an investment in me later. And I think that helped me reframe like and have a healthier relationship with both spending and saving so that I wasn't leaning into one too much. I think I've met a lot of people that are like over savers, like they're the op. they're like how I became where they're like afraid to spend money on anything. And I don't think that helps anyone, but I do tend to find that people skew one direction or the other. And um, yeah, that that framework of thinking about it that way really helped me. So did putting um, I like the idea that you your kind of like financial coach gave you to think about like think about it more of like a reflection than anything else. I don't I'm just like OCD I guess. I really like to sit down at the end of the month and like plug in all the numbers of like everything we spent, everything we invested, where we invested it, what our net worth is now, how it changed from the month before, like looking at the little graphs. I get off on that. But just like your boyfriend, I find that to be anxiety reducing because it makes me feel like I'm in control. And it gives me total purview over what's happening in my life. And frankly, I think what it comes down to is that as women, we are socialized implicitly and explicitly to not want wealth, to not want power. And the reality is that money is power. And to be told your entire life that like that's wrong or that's greedy or you shouldn't want that, that's a lie the economic independence of women is so important to a high functioning society. And I saw something the other night. It was so funny. It was like, don't you guys think it's weird that like, if women are supposed to be subordinate to men, because it's like biological that every church and every religion wouldn't have to keep telling women that that's the way they're supposed to be. (laughs) Like if it were natural, wouldn't we all just be doing it? And I'm like, dude, that that is so spot on and maybe a little tangential, but I think taking control of your money and thinking about it in this way of like i'm owning it i am i am you know driving forward my own economic independence and giving myself freedom money is freedom it's it just is at its simplest form especially like late stage capitalists united states are you kidding me nothing translates to power more than money does for better or worse so i think putting yourself in the driver's seat And being like, I deserve to be in the driver's seat of this. Like, I deserve to be here. And no one can take this away from me. I think it's just such a powerful perspective to have. And you'll start to behave differently too. Like, when you think about it in this, like, ownership way and accountability way, like, I just think everything changes. Your perspective about all of it changes.
1: There's two people that come to mind in the space when you talk about, Maddie was saying earlier, like, does this make me happy or does this not make me happy? Do you follow Ramit Sethi's work? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he said, figure out what you don't like to spend money on and cut back on that mm-hmm. mercif- mercis- mercis- mercifully, mercifully mercilessly, mercil- 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 yeah. mercil- yeah. whatever, whatever yeah. you said. And then... Spend on the things you absolutely love and light you up. So, for me, Mm -hmm. when I spend $45 or $50 or $60 on a Postmates dinner for me and my husband, I sit there and I'm like, don't press go, don't press go, don't press go, because it doesn't, it feels like a waste of fucking money to me. So, I Mm -hmm. don't Mm -hmm. spend, like, I go grocery shopping, I cook as many meals as I can if me and my husband want to go out on a nice meal, I don't look at the prices. I spend what I want. But Mm -hmm. 90% of my food purchases, I try to make from a grocery store and at home because that just doesn't fill me up. It fills Maddie up. I like to spend money on clothes Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So that was like the first mindset shift that got me into the thinking of my budget and how I want to spend money. And then- the second thing you said about how we our world will be at an advantage if women hold more economic power. Have you read Rachel mm-hmm. Rogers' book, We Should All Be Millionaires? Yes, I have. Oh, my God. That changed my life, too, on how to...
2: She's the reason I hired a chef. Yes. like, she's yes. right.
1: I'm not doing this shit anymore.
2: Yeah. I'm like, I don't need to do she's this. She's incredible.
1: And I was talking with a bunch of um, close friends of mine the other night, and I was saying how this idea that being rich and wealthy is greedy or evil or bad, whatever actually keeps women and men in a state of disempowerment Mm -hmm. and it doesn't actually move their life forward so that limiting belief is complete fucking bullshit and it just keeps us not wealthy
2: yeah my favorite example of this recently because sally krawcheck says like nothing bad happens when women get more money the jeff bezos mackenzie scott divorce it's like these two headlines on the same day where it was like, Mackenzie Bezos donates $10 billion. And it was like, Jeff Bezos having a historic bridge removed for super yacht. <laughs> and I was like, case in yeah. point, this is exactly it. Like, I, I fully believe that. I fully believe yeah. that. Yeah, oh. should we do rapid fire? Yeah, let's do rapid fire. Let's do it.
0: Number one, what's a money myth that you'd like to debunk?
2: That buying a home is always a good investment.
1: Ooh. That's what Ramit Sethi says. Oh, I bought shit. a home anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Shed.
2: It's a well, and it, I think it's valuable in the sense that it, you have the same payment forever. Like you're not going to be experiencing like rent inflation. So there are certainly merits for it if you're going to stay in the same area and it can work out well. But I think people, young people, get burned thinking that it's an investment or going into it with the idea that, like, oh, this is my wealth builder because. Trust me, any investment that requires a constant outflow of cash and has very high transaction costs is not a very good investment. If it's not generating profits, it's not a good investment. So I think that's a that's a powerful money myth that gets me really riled up.
0: Yeah, I love that. Okay, you already you already gave some apps um, and tools, but are there any others other than like Mint that help you organize?
2: Mm, I think so. Copilot is my favorite it's new it it came out i think in 2020 the former the guy that started it one of the co-founders like used to be a software engineer at google so it's like very very user friendly and um i really like that for organizing it's like i have 20 accounts i mean like i have a lot of investment accounts and cash accounts and whatever and it keeps it all in one place it tracks the spending It tracks investment performance, even within the accounts, like what your holdings are doing. I don't really pay attention to that part, if I'm being honest. But yeah, it's like really easy to use. So from an organization standpoint, I use that. And then I also developed a tool that I use called the Wealth Planner. That is a spreadsheet, but I kind of use them in tandem with one another. So those are kind of my two main organization apps. But I'd say Copilot's a really good place to start because it just like aggregates everything in one place for you. Okay, then what's your rule of thumb for how, what percentage you should be taking
0: out of your paycheck for savings?
2: Mm, Okay, so this is kind of a, there's like a very easy formula that you can use to determine how much you should be saving. And it really depends on how quickly you want to be work optional. Like how quickly you want to be financially independent, meaning like you don't need a job because you could live off your investment income. Let's do like middle ground. Middle ground, I would say middle ground is probably like minimum would be like 10%, like 10%. You're still going to be working for 40 years, but you're going to be able to retire. Is that question? Is that pre-tax post-tax? That is typically calculated pre-tax, but that's a very good question because it, it changes quite a bit depending on whether or not you're calculating it pre-tax or post-tax. But I would say that's pre-tax 10%. 10%. Whatever you're putting into your 401k, that counts. So if you have a 10% 401k contribution every year, like that, there's your 10%, right? Like it's funny. It's like we put things in these weird mental buckets where, like, we don't think of the 401k as investing in the stock market. And it's like, that's just the container that you're investing in. But like 1000% still, your money still counts. I would say, like, I always try to get people to shoot for 50% because that means every single year that you work, you are buying another year of your freedom. And so it's a very it's like if you are saving half your income, you can retire in 12 or 15 years. I mean, it's like insane. Post tax? Pre-tax. Pre-tax. So
1: you're you're like saving even more cash than you're spending.
2: Yeah. Typically, yeah. But that's also that's the extreme. So I would say the middle ground is probably somewhere around 25%, 25% is usually going to be manageable depending on where you live and how much you make. But, and this is something that I, I kind of want to like make sure that we talk about. And that is the fact that life is so much more expensive now compared to the median wage. Like when you look at median wage data and then the cost of everything else, it's like the costs of everything else have far outpaced median wages. In, and a big one being education, which a lot of people our age are still paying off. So I, I would say like, don't get discouraged if you hear 25% and you're like, oh my God, I could never do that. Like I barely have 10%. It's like, that's fine. Just work up to it. I mean, that's all that matters is that you're you're actively working toward it. I doubt most people just like d- day one could be like, all right, there's my 25% done. Like it does take lifestyle changes. It does take earning more. It, it takes time. But I think you'll be shocked at how quickly you'll build wealth if you can save 25% of your income. Okay. And then last one,
0: uh, this might not be a rapid fire, but we'll see. Nothing
2: is rapid fire with me. <laughs> I'm like, let me talk about this for 14 minutes and then you can ask another question. <laughs> I love it. What is your definition of
0: financial freedom? And let me clarify, like Obviously there's a lot of ties to success and finance and you know is there like a standard definition for what that should look like or is it really personal to you like what have you found as like a definition for financial freedom and what it means to you and what you can you know inspire others to kind of
2: make that for themselves or yeah. I think financial freedom really is the point at which money is no longer like the number one concern in a decision.
1: Mm. Like when
2: you've amassed enough wealth that like you don't like your job anymore and you're like, mm, kind of want to do another job that's going to pay 20% less. You can be like, okay, and not have to be like, oh my God, but I don't know. Can I afford that? It's like that energy and that headspace of like the, ah, oh, I don't know that is so limiting and it's it's why it drives me crazy when people are like money doesn't buy happiness and well money is not everything it's like we well, yeah, it's not everything but like have you ever tried to like be creative when you can't pay your rent because i promise you you can't like without financial freedom there is no other freedom that's just especially in this country where the social safety nets are pretty much there where are they i don't know if anyone can find one let me know but like <laughs> your financial ability to make decisions for yourself based on what's actually best for you and not based on money. I think that's where I would say you've crossed the threshold into like, okay, you are now financially free. And the good news is that anyone can put themselves into that position. It just takes time and it takes some effort, but like all good things do, right? I think the financial independence layer, that's like the ultimate where You know, freedom, financial freedom, and financial independence are different because financial independence is like you literally don't even need a job anymore. You have so much money. And that's another good thing to strive for. And so when I'm saying, oh, if you save 50% of your income, you'll be able to retire in 12 to 15 years. I'm talking financial independence. You no longer need income. So financial freedom is probably going to come in year two or three. Like you're going to hit that point really quickly where, you know, if you've saved half your income, all right, cool. Well, you now just bought yourself an entire year of time back that you can do whatever you want with, take a six month sabbatical, do whatever. So yeah, I would say that I do kind of have different definitions for those. And I think financial freedom is a goal that everyone should have. I I don't understand those that don't think it's important.
0: Yeah. And I want to stress that, you know, what you just said, that it could take 1 to 2 years. It's not as long mm-hmm. as people think. Right. And that that is something I mean Ed Milet says this like people think that their goals or or, or dreams of success is so far away mm-hmm. whereas like if you just started now, like it could be there in one to two years. Like that's Mm -hmm. so much, that's so much more digestible. Cause I think, especially when we're talking about money and everyone, you know, says like, you have to invest over time. It takes time. It takes time. It's like a little discouraging when Mm -hmm. you're like, well, I want, you know, I want some money now. Like, hello, like I don't want it (laughs) in like 20 years. So it's really nice to know that if you put like very, just achievable goals in place, like you
2: could be there and Very short amount of time. I think that's
0: that's something so key to Mm -hmm. to remember.
2: Totally. Yeah, I think we definitely underestimate it. Yeah. Okay, and we will ask
1: our last question. (gasps) We haven't done this in a little bit. I know. We like to ask all the women that come on OKC's podcast if you could brag about one thing and don't be humble. What would you brag about?
2: Oh my god, that's such a fun question. Um, I think just the fact that Money with Katie took off as quickly as it did, like starting it in 2020 and then having like quarter million in revenue in 2021. Like that to me is so it's like one of those things that I still almost don't believe it happened a little bit. And like, if you would have told me then like what my situation would look like now, as a result of that, I would have been like, no, like there's just no way. And so I think the thing that I try to take away from that and like, hold on to and remember is oftentimes nine times out of 10, the goals that you're setting for yourself are not big enough. Like you have no concept of what you can accomplish. And I think we tend to overestimate like what we can do in any given like week or month, but we do to to the earlier point, we really underestimate how much our lives can change in a year or two, but it does take consistency and it does take that belief. So yeah, I would say set larger goals because you probably are underestimating yourself. Oh. That
1: is beautiful. Katie, thanks, guys. Where can everybody find you?
2: Plug yourself, tell the sisterhood where they can follow you along. I love it. Thank you so much for asking. So, Money with Katie on pretty much all platforms, moneywithkatie.com. And the podcast is called The Money with Katie Show. So we dig into like everything under the sun, honestly, anything that is like even obliquely related to money, we're talking about it. So if you like like podcasts, you're interested in getting more comfortable with this stuff, that is a great place to go. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming. Thank and you. sisters,
1: you can find us on Instagram at OKSysPodcast. OK Love you.